So listen to and for the word of the Lord, as I'm going to be reading out of uh, John chapter 11, verses 38 through 44. Now, let me catch up with you there because uh, things have happened already. Jesus was away uh, in, 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 in Galilee, and, and some friends of his approach him and tell him, hey, the one you love, the disciple that you love very, very much, he's sick. And Jesus, instead of running back to, the, to Bethany, where these uh, messengers had come from, be, uh, they were messengers from a very wealthy family. They were messengers from a family that the Lord Jesus used to hang around before He would go into Jerusalem many times. They were a family that was invested in the industry of pharmaceutics of those days. They had all the anointments. They had all the oils. They had all the perfumes. This was the family that Mary and Martha and Lazarus are part of. Today you can go to the outskirts of Jerusalem and you will see the, the house. No, not a house. You will see the estate in which this family lived and where Jesus would once in a while take a break before he had to face Jerusalem. If you look and think about it in chapter 11, this is the last situation, the last of the six signs that Jesus is giving or that John is describing for us in his gospel, and right from here, he goes into Jerusalem in chapter 12, and the passion begins. So Jesus is having to decide, do I go to Bethany to take care of my friend Lazarus? Well, he stays out for two more days. He doesn't go immediately. Then he decides to go, and when he gets there, he tells his disciples that uh, John is asleep. Remember, those of you who are taking the class, this is one of the, of the literary misunderstandings that the gospel of John has, that the disciples did not understand what Jesus meant by being asleep. And then Jesus clarified to them, well, he's dead. When he gets close to the town of Bethany, one of the sisters approaches Mary, and Mary kind of claims, if you would have been here. So this family knew that Jesus was a healer. This family also knew that Jesus was a very wise man because in one occasion, another gospel tells us the experience where one sister stayed listening to the master's teaching while the other one got busy, Martha, Martha, busy, busy. And I contend to you that both were doing ministry. Just one took the best part. The other one wasn't bad either. Just one took the best part. But these are the, the, the family that knows Jesus intimately. They not only knew Jesus, but they also knew about what he was doing around Palestine. They kept in touch. So in this book, we find the, the, the main idea is this. John, towards the end, he tells us that this gospel is, is written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. You see, Christ wasn't his last name or his middle name. My middle name is Giovanni. So when my mother would say, Edwin Giovanni Gonzalez Gertz, I still hear that. And I, uh. no, it wasn't Jesus Christ. Ben Joseph, son of Joseph. This is a title. This is a, a, a qualifying title, adjective that describes something, someone that's just not common. It's from God. 
So he is the Christ. Number two, that you will know that he is the son of God. Sonship. We will deal with that in the second Sunday in August. The sonship of Jesus. Why is there such an emphasis in this gospel about the sonship of Jesus? When you look for the son of the term son of God, it, it appears mostly 14, 15, 17 times, depending on the translation, in the gospel of John where it appears the most. So it is important that we not only know that Jesus and understand that Jesus is the Christ, but that He is the Son of God, and that by believing, notice it doesn't say by believing in Him. Notice it says that by believing, you will then have life in His name. So we saw this situation of Jesus Projecting His glory. Jesus manifesting His glory through miracles, through signs. Actually, Isaiah, even I think John was thinking of Isaiah when, when he wrote the, the, the preamble of the gospel and, and, and the light was with, and, and the light, and the verb was the light, and the light was with God, and the light was the life of man. Because Isaiah reminds us that light has come and God's glory is upon us. So the glory of the sun is going to be projected here. Back to chapter 114, we have a summary of what we're trying to do is, and, and, and this word who was, who was with God became human and made his home among us. He was full of grace, unfailing love, and faithfulness. And look what John says, and we have seen his glory the glory of the Father's one and only Son. So the term glory is what it, some of us have some difficulty, and theologians have had a difficulty in trying to define what does glory mean. Well, let's add that question at the end of the sermon to see if we have a better handle on what the glory of God, the glory of Jesus, as Jesus manifested it, threw it out to humanity in six signs that we will see. So in these six signs that, that uh, the gospel writer gives us, these are not the only miracles Jesus did, but these are the ones that, that John and John's gospel writer selected specifically to bring out the divinity, the deity, the glory, the supremacy, the holiness, the magnificency of Jesus here on earth. There were six signs. And, and, and the first one that we saw was when Jesus turned water into wine. When Jesus is, now has power over the elements, not only over the elements, but Jesus also signifying and pointing to that. He is the one that can fill our emptiness with the best of the best. So these signs, let me bring it to you, it's not about the, the miracle of the wine, of the water being turned to wine. It's not about the, the, the healing of, it's not about the son of the official who got well and didn't die. It's not about making the lame man walk again. It's not that. It's not about Jesus walking on water. It's not about that. It's not about the feeding of the multitude, whether they were five or ten or fifteen thousand. It's not so much about that. Or giving sight to the blind man. Or even raising Lazarus. All of this sign, just like Paul, I mean, John uses that word intentionally. It's because these signs point 
to something greater than the sign itself, right? Isn't that what a sign is? A sign, for the sake of redundancy, points to significance, to meaning. A sign points to something greater than itself. The sign points to how to get to LJ. Not, I'm not in LJ when I buy the sign. It tells me how far I got to drive there, okay? So a sign points to something greater, especially the way that John is using these signs in this book because each one of these signs is going to point to one of the powers of God and Jesus and one of the significance of it all. For example, in the... Let's just take the lame man walking. He was lame for 38 years. He was not able to walk for 38 years. He was at the pool of Bethesda trying to get in the waters whenever the troubles were, whenever the waters were troubled. And Jesus, who instead of going to the upper east side of town, to Lenox Mall, decided to hang out in Austell. And go by the corners, and he finds the lame man. And he says, you want to get well? <laughs> Hello. Of course. And the man gets up and walk. Now, the man is confronted by the officials of the temple who are there because they're not concerned about the man's well-being. They're not concerned about humanity. They're not concerned about this individual's life. They're concerned about the tradition and the law. And a big fuss was made because the man was asked to pick up his mat Break the Sabbath and be free. So, you see, the, the picking up of the mat, the healing, that was a sign pointing that Jesus is bringing something new and fresh. That Jesus is going to teach us above tradition. That Jesus is going to take the traditions of the age and turn them upside down. And that's what happens in every one of them. Walking on water, for example. In the walking of water, Jesus himself, his glory is seen, his power is seen. But when he gets in the boat, peace, assurance, and safety comes to the disciples. This is what we in theology calls when the power or the glory of God shows up, sometimes Jesus chooses to manifest his glory uh, thing, and, and then the blessing or the grace, the gift of grace comes through. Sometimes he gives the gift of blessing, of grace, and then his glory is manifested. In the feeding of the 5,000 or the multitude, what did Jesus do first? He fed with how many loaves and how many fishes? All this multitude. So the, the, the power was manifested. Right? He fed the multitude. The power was manifested. But later on in his discourse, and he's teaching about what just happened, he said, I am the true bread of life. So he's giving the power, the glory is manifested, the power is manifested, but the significance is there also. That's the glory of God. When you see the magnificence, power of God, and then there is a meaning that's not earthly or limited, 
but goes beyond our expectations. In another miracle, for example, in, in the, let's see, oh, the, the official son miracle, uh, the official, you know, he, he, he gave also the word of power. Go, your son will be well. So the power was shown first, and then the blessing was given. So you see, sometimes Jesus would manifest the power, and the significance would come later. Sometimes Jesus would talk about the significance first, and the power would be manifested later. In the story that we have today, which is a very familiar story, we see how the power and significance of Jesus is going to be take action in word and how it will in word and action and how it's going to affect the family, how it's going to affect the crowd, and how it's going to affect individuals. And hopefully, once we see how this whole situation is going to affect the family, is going to affect the crowd, and it's going to affect individuals, we may find out how it may affect you. So as we continue, uh, uh, Jesus is now at Bethany. He is with Mary and Martha. Mary has come and met him, has confronted him. But Jesus is about to show Mary and Martha his significance. They knew that he was a teacher. They knew that he was a healer. But if you would have been here, this would have And then what did Jesus reply? Mary, did I not tell you that if you... Believe, you will see God's glory if you believe. To, that's why he said to Martha, to Mary, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And, and, and she replied, because she was a good student, yeah, I know that my brother is going to, to rise up in the last day. You know, she, he knew that. She knew that. But he replied saying, did I tell you? Didn't I tell you that if you will see God's glory, God's power, and God's significance, you will believe. If you believe, you will understand. Not if you understand that you will believe. If you believe, you will see the power. Not you see the power and then you will believe. If you believe, you will see a new path. If you believe, you will walk in a different way. If you believe, you will understand the kingdom. If you believe, you will be encouraged and you will be strengthened. If you believe, you will trust and then you will follow. One of the things why a lot of people don't follow Jesus closely is because they don't trust Jesus. You know why they don't trust Jesus? Because they don't trust the church. They don't trust the church. They've been hurt in many ways. So in this story, we're going to see how a family is going to be affected. The family was affected. Jesus told him, if you believe. Now, Jesus addresses the community. And you see many from the town. Uh, Bethany was only two miles away from, from the city of Jerusalem, from the walls of Jerusalem. And this family was very well known. They provided pharmaceuticals, anointings, and oils, and perfumes in the area. So they were, they were very well known, you know, family. So many of the mourners came to mourn. Many of people from Jerusalem came to mourn to Bethany. So there was a crowd there for days. Funerals in those days lasted six to seven days. As a family was dealing with, with uh, their grief and the, and, the, and the separation, the pain of separation. So Jesus is also, his actions and his are going to affect this community. What would have happened, I wonder, if you were there, if you were part of that crowd, 
and you begin to see what was going on. Because if you, if you notice, the crowd follows Mary and Martha. When Jesus approaches the, the, the town, Mary meets him. Then Mary goes and talks to Martha. Martha goes running out of the house to meet Jesus. The crowd follows Martha because they think that she's going to cry at the tomb. So the crowd is involved in this whole situation. The crowd is involved. And what, I wonder if you were part of that crowd, what would you be looking at? What would you be paying attention to? That the traditions are served right? That there's right food for everybody? That there's enough pain and crying? That was part of the job. They would be only in charge of making sure that there was enough pain and suffering. Yeah, they got paid. What would be your job there? Are you just curious like some of us who like to go to funerals just for checkout? No, I don't do that. <laughs> I did when I was a kid. Show up at a funeral home. Who died? I think I stopped that. You see, the crowd was there. And the crowd must have seen, you know, the power of Jesus. When Jesus says, come out, they heard that. Before that, they saw a Jesus who was crying and angry. I wonder if we see the power and significance of Jesus in our lives. I wonder if we see Jesus' power manifested not only in salvation, but in provision, in security, in, in love, in community, in friendship. I wonder if we're able to see that in our lives as we work with our kids in the community camp, as we work with our community meals, as we work intentionally with the power of abundance that we have, and we fill up a shopping cart. Did you see that? A whole shopping cart was filled up with underwears. It's in your worship guide. Look it up. A whole shopping cart. Not a little box. A little congregation of 60 to 80 in attendance fill out a shopping cart. Who are they? Who are these generous people? Do they see the glory of God in their lives and therefore they're responding significance to others? And, of course, I'm bragging about us. But, you know, in the crowd that was there, there was also some people who were not there so much for the funeral. There was a crowd of pastors. There was a crowd of uh, teachers of the law. And, and, you see, they didn't see the picture that God was painting. They didn't see the glory. They did not see the significance. Even though they saw a dead man walking out of a grave, they were more concerned about their power, their ways, and their perspective of life. They were so much concerned about their privilege and power, their own control, and they were concerned that the masses were getting new understanding and significance. You see, the power and new significance God is pouring in our lives is to supply us spiritually, but it's also to give us a perspective. It's not just for me, myself, and I. It is so that I can become an agent of change in my community. It's so that I can become 
a disciple of Jesus. When Jesus asked Lazarus, he stood in that grave, and the scripture says, how does the King James says it, Miss Linda Kay? And Jesus said, because my version says, and Jesus shouted. Is that shouting? Sorry. Just following the script. Lazarus, come forth. Mine says, come out. Come out. And the word says, and the dead man walked out. I wonder how far I would have run already by the time I saw the shade of the thing coming out. The amazing thing is that then Jesus looks at his disciples and said, unbind him and let him go. Unbind him and let him go. This crowd that I'm talking about, these pastors, these priests, these religious leaders, they saw that. They weren't happy at all. They felt threatened. Because if you look at the end of the chapter 11, the chapter finishes with uh, them, those people, making their official plan to kill Jesus. Let's bring it home if we may. Let's bring it home if we may. Then Jesus shouted, come out. I put a blank in there in the screen because I would like for you to maybe, we're not going to experience exactly how it happened, but maybe have a little resemblance how it may have felt to be in darkness, hear the words come out, hear your name, and you come out. Now, we're not going to, typically I would have a grave here and I would have everybody go through the experience. No, not today. We do have the grave, by the way, downstairs, but we won't use it today. But just imagine, how would have been for Lazarus, for any of us who are dead? Paul may have said dead in our sins and trespasses. Would you do it with me? I don't hear it. Okay. So I'm going to say, then Jesus shouted, and what you need to say is your name. Your name. Not the whole thing. Just your first name. You don't have to shout it. If you want to, I would like you to. But even if you whisper it, I want you to listen to Jesus calling you out to be with him. So for us to do that, let me put myself here so nobody will feel that I'm going to knock their head off or throw water on them. Ideas come through my mind. Well, so let's close our eyes. Let's close our eyes. If you're able, just imagine that darkness. That silence. Then Jesus shouted, come out. Let's do it again. Then Jesus shouted, Edwin. 
come out. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you that you speak to our hearts. We thank you that you speak to our souls. We thank you that you speak to our spirits. That you quicken us from our slumber. That you shake us from our comfort zone. So that we may be your glory. So that we may be those who are back from the dead. So that we may be what Paul calls Jesus in us. The hope of glory to this community, to our families, and to those who come in touch with us. We thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for pouring your grace on us. We thank you for the assurance of our relationship with you, which depends on your strength and your perseverance towards us. We pray for this community this week as they get ready to start school for all the, the police officers who will be taking care of the fields and the areas, the school zones. We pray for our first responders, for our doctors and nurses and medical workers in our community. We pray for teachers and specifically for our students who are here today who will be excitingly beginning a new school year to learn and grow so that they then can become and make a difference in our community. We thank you, Lord. We pray for those brothers and sisters who are sick from our congregation. We pray for those who are traveling. We pray for those who are close to your presence, O oh God. We ask for your strength, for your healing, and for your peace. And we pray for us who are gathered here, and we thank you for pouring your, your power, your, your glory and significance for us, but above all, for you, O Lord. And we thank you for teaching us to pray together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we forgive our debt. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For that is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.